Hey everybody, thank you for listening to The Watch. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. And make sure you subscribe to The Ringer's newest podcast, Keeping It 1600, The Ringer NFL Show, and The Ringer NBA Show. All Again, all on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play Music. And remember to check out After the Thrones, hosted by me and Andy Greenwald. I know we had a little delay today, technical difficulties, but it's usually available after every episode of Game of Thrones on HBO Now, Go, and even HBO proper. It'll be on tonight on television, 10 p.m. Pacific, 1 a.m. Eastern, I think. Winter is here. Me and Andy are here to break break it down. Uh, today, Andy actually, unfortunately, couldn't make the watch. So for the first episode on our feed, it's just me. But it's me with my friends. I've got Sean Fennessy, Bill Simmons, Julia Littman, and Jason Concepcion to help. We're talking uh, Game of Thrones, the Good Wife finale, and Captain America Civil War. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling sports and music tickets. Other sites have gone back to the same old tactic of showing you a lower price and then charging huge fees at checkout. But at SeatGeek, the price you see is always the price you pay. With SeatGeek, there's no guesswork. You'll know exactly how much you're paying, where you're sitting, and whether or not you're getting a good deal, all right from your phone. So drop your old site and experience buying and selling tickets the way it should be. To start using SeatGeek, download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, it's the Mad King. Bill Simmons! <laughs> I'm, I'm upset. I'm filling in for Greenwald along with a bunch of other people. This is our, couldn't do it our first episode on the watch feed. And Andy's out today. Andy had something to do, but he's uh, he couldn't make it today. But we just wanted to make sure we had everybody up with an episode. It's our first day. You can subscribe to the watch on iTunes. You can congrats. Subscribe. Congrats Thanks, on getting your own feed. I appreciate it. You have your own feed and you have your own Twitter feed. Yeah, so this will be The Watch. You'll also get Andy Greenwald podcast, the Andy Greenwald show on this one. We got one for you this week with a very special guest. Yeah. Um, Bill, how you doing? Th- and thanks to everyone for supporting The Watch. Yeah. You top two on iTunes. That it's was nice. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing good. I saw a great movie on Netflix this weekend I want to tell you about. That's definitely the most important thing from culture this weekend. Let's it was. It. Yeah. it was. Because how, how rare is it to be surprised by a Netflix movie? Yeah. Or any movie. You'd be like, oh, is that? And you talk yourself it's into no it. It's no longer the place for movies. It's more like a you catch up on shows there. You can watch their original programming. But nobody really like is like, did you see this? I found this movie in the library this weekend. Yeah. And just in general, I feel like I know every movie that's out. <laughs> or I, ha- I already have a preconceived opinion on like, yeah. oh, that movie. Oh, I remember that's the one. And this one, I knew nothing. And my, the best man in my wedding, Jeff Gallo, who's the biggest Halloween fan I've ever met, who loves horror movies, and we love horror movies together. And he just emailed me over the weekend. He's like, uh, go get Hush on Netflix. Okay. This is it. This is this is a little touch of Halloween, little touch of silent rage, which Ooh. we love back in the day. And uh, that was it. I went in blind with my wife at like 11 o'clock at night, put it on. It was petrifying. I don't want to give anything away. Well, give me the elevator pitch. Um, cabin, mm-hmm. remote, alone. The girl is deaf. Ooh, H- hence hush, because it's hush, quiet. Yeah, can't hear. Okay. Uh, killer. Girl, deaf girl by herself. Deaf girl by herself. Cabin killer. Interesting. That's it. That's my pitch. Interesting. I, 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 mean, it I have is a lot a of questions. But I, don't wanna... I actually watched a horror movie this weekend too. What'd you it's watch? It's called The Boy, starring oh. uh, Lauren Cohan from from Walking Dead. Yeah. And it's about she plays an American kind of like running away from a bad relationship in Montana, where she's yeah. from. She goes to rural England, lovely countryside, like Downton Abbey type house. 
gets there, older couple hires her that hired her as a nanny. Always good. And she, they're like, we want to introduce you to our son. And she's like, great. And they bring her up to the kid and it's a doll. But they're pretending like they're fully committed to the idea that this is their son. So there's this whole story about this, the real son burned up in a, a tragic fire. Oh. And they've been pretending all these years, but there have been lots of nannies and none of them seem to last very long. It sounds like my dad and my stepmother with their dogs. <laughs> <laughs> they give their dogs human names and have birthdays for them. Do they have like stuffed dogs? They're like, it's still here. And parties? Would anybody else have birthday parties for their dogs and invite <laughs> other dogs? Because that's my dad and my stepmom. Um, did you watch Game of Thrones this weekend? I did. What'd I'm you think? caught up on Game of Thrones. Great. I like every Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. I, a couple things. Uh, I always like when people can regain their eyesight. I like when people can go into an alternate universe when they're not paralyzed. Yeah. I like when people can come back to life. I like that Jon Snow had to kind of sell the knife wounds. Yeah. Like, like with the hugs. Yeah. Like, like just so like, I can't like, hey, buddy, good to see. You. Oh, yeah. My, my 10 knife wounds. He still recovered hurt a by bit. the end. He looked like he, yeah. he had, had the platelet treatment by the end of the game. You know? Great. Icy stare by the teenager who tried to kill him when yeah. the four hangs. I love this is terrible, but I, I that was one of the better hangings I've seen in a TV show. I felt like it was really realistic. Not since Deadwood episode one. Yeah, yeah. like a nice wide shot from the back of everybody's legs kicking. It, yeah. was, it was just really brutal. I love Capital Punishment. Yeah. yeah, it was great. Those guys deserved it. Any they, questions I can help you with about what's going on on the show? I have an insane amount of questions. Okay. Um, Who's winning? Who's winning Game of Thrones right now? That's a great question. I would say it's a push right now. Uh, I think that the, the evil guy's up there. Right. Sansa's. Right. Ramsey's up there. Ex-husband. Yeah. Is um, it ex or are they still like legally married? The, Sansa's marriage history is a little complicated because yeah. she was actually married to Tyrion, but they never did the deed. So it's yeah. like, that's not official. You couldn't know that. That's yeah. like Chris so Humphreys. She did get married to, to Ramsey though. So she is, she is his wife. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, I think right now one of the things that's interesting, Andy and I talked about this. Oh, by the way, After the Thrones, that will be on tonight. Yeah. Sorry about that. Some technical difficulties. Um, we know that we're doing our best. But we talked about this a little bit where it's like, does anybody actually want to run this world? Or do they just want their little local regions? You know, or is has anybody making the move to kind of take over the whole the whole chessboard? I don't read the books. Mm-hmm. I, bear, I I know what's going on just as in I like this show, but I'm not like obsessed with it and all that stuff. It does seem like we're heading toward just complete chaos, followed by the Ned Stark kids somehow winning in the end. Yeah. Would be would be what my bet was on. Yeah, I think the chaos is going to be it's extended chaos. We're going to right, have. but I also feel like Kevin Durant's coming back to Boston, so I'm like I, I <laughs> don't mean trust coming my, back to Boston. Coming back to Boston. Well, he's played games there, and now he's just going to come there. The prodigal son. If you he's guys back. want a Kevin Durant coming home yeah. montage, it's going to be incredible. He's back. Uh, yeah, it just feels like we're headed for chaos, which is going to be incredible. Yeah, and I think that that always just provides for the kind of opportunities to have the sort of surprises and twists that this show thrives on. So what? give me a prediction for the next two episodes. I think we're going to find out more about what happens in that tower, in that mm. flashback scene. Yeah, and I that think, seemed like a pivotal tower. Yeah, and I think that, I think either Arya or Daenerys, and hopefully both will will move forward because they've both been Arya's been stuck in in uh the house of the undying or the house of black and white rather for a really long time and she's been training and lost her sight got her sight back was begging yep. 
I think that she's going to start moving forward. And Daenerys, who kind of this season has been trapped with the Dothraki, I think that looked like Jorah and Dario were coming to the rescue in the scenes from next week. What yeah. do you think of? Uh, what do you think of the the Kit Harrington dick jokes after when he was walking back? Surprising. Funny little like needling of Kit Harrington there. I thought. Yeah, it was a, it was a good one. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that people have a sense of humor in Game of Thrones, yeah. which is like just the most brutal, terrible place on the planet. But they're making like drinking jokes and dick jokes. It's good. Yeah, it's I feel like stuff. we're headed toward a roast maybe near the end in the last season. Anything the else John you want to get off your chest? Um, I, I'm always amazed with Game of Thrones when they have the sword fighting scenes, like the guy with the double swords. And he was pretty, pretty badass. Like I, I could read a 5,000 word article on it. How did that guy do it? How much time was, how much time did he prepare? Was there CGI? Like, it, uh, you know, the Spurs Thunder game was amazing on, on Sunday night. The sword guy won the weekend for me. <laughs> Double sword, five guys. And then you have the, 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 he was so good, everyone's kind of afraid of him. So I kept waiting for somebody to dive at his knees. Nobody did that. I That's also like that Bram was like, oh, I, my dad kills this guy. I know all about this. And then it's like, what? No. <laughs> like, yeah, it was like getting a, like a Zapruder film or something. Do you, is it emotional for you at all that Max von Sydow, um, the good Nazi from Victory, <laughs> the it's greatest soccer movie ever made, he's the good Nazi. <laughs> I like seeing him in Game of Thrones. I had no idea he was still alive. Yeah, he's he is one of our like I he's just like one of those guys who shows up in a movie every three years and you're just like, I cannot believe that MVS is still kicking. MVS. It's yeah. been like <laughs> decades and decades for MVS. I highly urge everyone out there to uh not sound like the old guy, but the last thirty five minutes of victory are as good as it gets for sports movies. I would put it uh, with the last half hour of Rocky two. Last half hour of draft day. Yeah, last last half hour of draft day. <laughs> The last 20 minutes of Hoosiers, it, it would get, the soccer is incredible. They filmed it super wide. Who is the director? John Houston. And he filmed it he's super widescreen, almost like he knew 25 years from now, plasma TVs that were HD widescreen were coming. And the soccer is great. And if you really know and love soccer, they actually, the goals make sense. There's like counterattacks and... And Pele with a great John Houston. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. And Pele with a great bald bald spot. Yeah. And it's a murderer's row of great players from that era, like Werner Roth and who's the Dutch guy? There's a whole bunch of them. It's it's like it would be like if they made the movie now and like Messi was in it and Ronaldo and all these people. (laughs) It's all the best people from like 1980. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Daniel Daniel Brule will play the good Nazi. Yeah. And Michael (laughs) Caine is the sweeper. Yeah. Yeah. And He's just so so uh, pot bellied and fat that they just have to do close up shots. Were, they of were him. like the the athletes were like that back then though. Pot bellied. Like, there were soccer players who were just like really bad bald spot would smoke during halftime. Like they would have a like a like a muffin and like a coffee full of milk and sugar before they went back out. I miss those days. Yeah, oh, too. and I forgot to mention that Sly Stallone makes the catches a penalty kick. That's amazing. Has anyone ever caught a penalty kick? <laughs> In the history of soccer? Without moving, you mean? It's yeah. just like a dive, yeah. catching it. But what's the point of catching a penalty kick? Just to show up the Nazis. <laughs> just <laughs> well, to stick good, it to them. The good Nazi appreciated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Hush and Victory. Those and, are my And you're in on Game of Thrones. What? Here's my last Game of Thrones question. Sure. Um, what episode do you think will be the best episode from the way these first three went? I think that there will... I'm going to say five or nine. Those are my two choices for episode of the year. You're, I think. I think you're right. I think because there's always a great penultimate episode, and I also think we're in for like a mid seat. So what basically you see it goes in like these arcs of two, where it's like something set up, 
execution setup execution so i think four or five will be like a big one and i think somewhere like there will be like a seven and a nine i think we're going like odd numbers but i think they almost make these in almost two hour movie blocks now i thought of our first movie that the ringer can make sure it's it's a it's a homemade movie it's a team movie oh juliet's excited it's a tv movie (laughs) it's about this guy who hosts the game of thrones post game show (laughs) and he gets to see game of thrones early and before he sees the, the penultimate episode, which everyone knows is always the best episode, these TV bloggers kidnap him. Is he deaf and he winds up in a cabin? He winds up in a cabin <laughs> and he loses his hearing and he has to fight his way out. But That's it's great. fantastic. Now, it's, it's, Does Max von Sydow show up at all? <laughs> there's a soccer scene. Can we scene. get MVS? What's the deal with that? There's a soccer scene. And he, now, the fact that you see these before me drives me crazy. <laughs> And then I have to stare at your your face and you can't say anything. And I have to like interpret like the way you're eating a salad. I do practice how when I come back into the office, when people are like, how was it? And I say, good, good, good. Yeah, pretty good. All right, Bill All Simmons, right. thank you so much for joining us. And thanks for subscribing to the Watch Feed. Uh, I look forward to hearing Greenwald on this. Hey, before we get to Juliet, I just want to talk a little bit about the black tux. The problem with wearing a rental tuxedo is that it looks like a rental tuxedo and everybody knows it. What if there was a way to get quality crafted Italian wool suits and tuxedos rented to you online? The Black Tux was created for guys like you who deserve quality crafted Italian threads along with a knowledgeable customer service core. And the best part is it's hassle free, all done online. So what's the Black Tux? It's tuxedo rentals finally made easy. To get started, visit theblacktux.com and select from a complete look or build your own. Prices start at 95 bucks. The Black Tux designs and manufactures quality crafted Italian wool suits and tuxedos for rent entirely online. If you have questions about fitting, their top-notch customer service team is always on hand to lend assistance. After you've ordered, your suit will arrive in seven days before your event, which leaves plenty of time to try it on, and if the fit needs a tweak, the Black Tux will do whatever it takes to fix it in time. When your event's over, just ship the tux back in the box it came from for free. It's that easy. Visit theblacktux.com slash BSPN to experience a new way to rent. That's theblacktux.com slash BSPN. And now I am joined by my OTP other, well, no, it would be other podcast partner. So OPP. OPP. Juliet Littman's here. Hello. The queen of Canada. Can't believe. <laughs> Sore subject, Chris. The people of Toronto hate me forever. Juliet, let's talk about the good wife. The good wife, man. Andy never lets me talk about the good wife. This is the equivalent of me. It's like if Andy all of a sudden had like another person on to talk about the Americans, I'd be pretty steamed. But you know what? I just want to say I could do that too. I'm still watching <laughs> the Americans. Maybe you guys can do it next week. Sure. I'd love to. Um, Juliet and I, we, we love a good wife. We do. We watch it together, in fact. Yeah. Um, um, you urged me to get into it. I binge watched seasons one, two, and three upon your recommendation. And then I've been watching four, five, six, seven. Yeah. And wow, that's like we've been friends for a long time already, Chris. <laughs> when you put it in good wife terms. Um, How many good wife seasons have you known me for? <laughs> um, and then last night it ended. It all came to an end. Now, I think that we wanted to have two kinds of conversations. One is just about the good wife in general and how we feel about it ending. Shout but out to Christine Baranski. You are something of a good wife truther. Yes. In a way. Because I feel like you have always been acutely aware of the off-screen gossip and machinations happening with this show. Certainly. And obviously we had... Archie Punjabi versus Juliana Margulies was like one of the one of your core stories. Absolutely, I've, I've been 
I just want to know the truth so badly. I've um, tried to use my own little birds here in Los Angeles (laughs) to find out the truth. You are the master of good wife whispers. I am the varus of the good wife gossip, good wife gossip mail. But this is literally finding out the truth about this is like trying to figure out what the uh, like the monolith is in 2001. Like you go up to it and you're like, tell me. And yeah. nobody, you can't break it. I thought that I knew as well. I thought that I knew that Archie Punjabi was a problem. And I thought that I knew she was written off the show. You knew that because you got information suggesting that? Or you knew that based on your like your surface read of things? Um. From both, like from partially information from my little birdies and partially information from reading the internet constantly. It just seemed like the narrative was Archie Punjabi and Juliana Margulies had a falling out. Therefore, Archie Punjabi and Juliana Margulies were never in scenes together. Only on the phone. Only on the phone. And then it was even worse. Archie Punjabi, who played Kalinda, the investigator, who like really was like the key to to the original firm, Lockhart Gardner. He actually was started at Stern Lockhart Gardner. Probably Stern. Stern. He came back in season two and then they got rid of him. Okay. I, I, this is a, I also watch Suits and have watched many lawyer shows. A, a trope of lawyer shows is like a, a, a partner coming back. Can to I like ask you a quick digression question? Yeah. Gun to your head. Lawyer shows or doctor shows? Doctor shows. Okay. I have so many lawyers in my family that I've I got that covered. I would still know a lot about the law. <laughs> Doctor shows is all I've got. But I'm glad you brought that up because I was willing to accept this narrative of Archie Punjabi being the problem because I love ER so much right. and I want to ride Juliana Margulies. She just seems great. I just I, I or so it seemed. But then we get to last night's finale and it ends with spoiler alert. Alicia Florick has decided to divorce her husband. She has completely ruined the marriage of her partner, Diane Lockhart. She To had, save her husband. To save her husband. Who a year in jail, basically. A, a year in jail is what he would have had to face. He's already done eight months before. Like, he probably could have survived. Yeah. Um, she thinks that she's going to end up with this guy who has then, like, vanished. And she then is walking through, like, the bowels of some hotel in Chicago when Christine Baranski, my one true queen, <laughs> slaps her in the face. And that's the end of The Good Wife. Alicia is slapped. <laughs> and it turns out that uh, that in the pilot, or if I had forgotten this, but in the pilot, Alicia slaps Peter. So it was kind of like a full Symmetry, circle. Yeah. But so then the, Michelle and Robert King, who run created and, and show ran Good Wife for years, came out afterwards and they were kind of like, the Good Wife is kind of like Alicia Florick is kind of a tragedy. And the Good Wife, you know, and there became all this dialogue about the show where it was like the Good Wife was about corruption or power and stuff like that. And I, I, I think that there's definitely something to that. But it sort of disregards the fact that this was still often... I think in your own words, like kind of a Daffy case of the week lawyer show yeah. with about like great brooches and cool like legal maneuvers. And one of the reasons I liked this show so much, and I think I've said this to you before, is it was a show about adults for adults. Yeah. Like it for all of like the drama and intrigue that it played off of, like specifically it was based on the Elliot Spitzer scandal. Um, it was a lawyer it was a lawyer show about like adults with adult problems it was about like managing dating when you have kids and like how to deal with the fact that you are in like a you're still secretly with your you're still secretly seeing other people while you're publicly married to your husband like it was a show that was realistic and the last episode was just sort of like it was like soap opera material yeah the slap was just like i'm ready for the slap Two, which is now just about about the making of the show legislating diane slapping alicia so the the thing i want to talk about is that with what we were saying about archie punjabi and the machinations the off-screen stuff it's kind of interesting to think about 
the way that they decided to end this with that in mind, because there had been a New York Times interview with with Juliana Margulies and the Kings. Let's just call her Jules. It's easier. A couple of weeks ago. Jules and the Kings. Yes. And Margulies said that CBS had come to her after the Kings had said, we're not going to, we're done. We're, we're done at seven. We're not going to do an eighth season. And that CBS had come to Juliana Margulies and said, well, we're thinking about doing an eighth season. Would you still do it? And she was like, so I was forced to choose between like siding with the Kings or going along with them and ending the show and and then like losing everybody who was working on the show losing their jobs yes and that was one thing that was interesting so she there's always a, already a little tension and then she had basically said i still don't know how i feel about the finale or i i watched like i when i read the script for the finale it took me a really long time to kind of be at peace with it and that's like you can see why this yes. actually what like reads like if you watch this episode it plays like they are very hostile towards Alicia. her character and her as a as a person. Yeah. And I think that's what kind of threw people off. Right. And that makes me rethink everything with Archie Punjabi because also um, last season was Archie Punjabi's final season. She In her final episode, there's a scene with her and Alicia at the bar with Clint and Alicia. And it came out, and, and and the Kings the whole season were like, yes, there'll be resolution between Alicia and Kalinda. Yeah. And then after the, sh- the episode, it comes out that they actually never um, shot it together. It was, it was like you, they used body doubles and like over-the-shoulder shots to piece it together. Right. So it just makes me seem think that there's just so much drama with Juliana Margulies. And um, yeah, I just feel like I've lost my true north. Like We've I've, also just been conditioned now to expect last final seasons to be so mani- meticulously handled. Yeah. And this was actually, I think I saw somebody talking about, I can't remember who said this, so I apologize for taking their idea, but somebody compared this to the How I Met Your Mother finale mm. in its sort of the the how, how uh, just how separate it felt from like the rest of the series right and how it seemed to make like this weird screeching left turn and i think you could i know there's all this dialogue about saint alicia and whether alicia floric was like a good person or a selfish person over the course of the series but i did definitely think that this didn't feel like the show that i watched for the last five years i agree with you and i think there's a couple of like of like data points to to look at and talking about how this is different and like first of all um Carrie Agos was completely irrelevant for the last like two or three seasons, basically. Yeah. Matt Zucre. Um and season Which is not a, not acceptable to you. No. <laughs> As a Gilmore Girls fan, I cannot stand with Logan Huntsberger being pushed to the side. Um no, but Carrie had had the potential to be interesting. He was like kind of like the privileged white guy of the show who turned out to actually be like a pretty good dude with like a tortured relationship with his father. And he was he was interesting despite the fact that you could just think he was like a regular guy. Uh, and he just was, com- he was basically not in this season. Like he probably got paid a lot and like shout out to him, but he definitely didn't earn it and they didn't allow him to earn it pretty much. There's that. Second of all, um, the like true heart of the show has always been Eli, Alan, Alan Cummings oh, character. Yeah. And his daughter was phenomenal and she was been on the last few seasons as a recurring character. But kind of why Eli was so fun was really lost, I think. He was kind of put into a position a defensive position a lot. And I really preferred him being like offensive. And it just it just seemed that he became once he was at odds with both Alicia and Peter, and he was just kind of like a free agent the sort of like the symphony of um, all the characters working together was lost. 
I went quiet, one might say. I want to end on this note, which is just that you were talking about The Good Wife being an adult show for adults, and and I really like that. Just even like the fact that there was so much social drinking that happened in that show, or rather private drinking. There Uh, was both. They had their spot in the bar. But that was never like, oh, we have like an alcoholic character. Like even on Mad Men, it eventually became quite clearly a problem for quite a few of those characters. Um, I really liked the fact that this is almost like a throwback to the TV that we probably remember from our childhood of like, it's just always on. Yeah. 22 episodes. And like, it could have just gone on forever. And I wouldn't really have like had a problem with that. I don't know if I always would have been a religious viewer of the show, but it, it was interesting to see it kind of be pulled into prestige television uh, discourse, which is something they made note of with its fake low winter sun show that would sometimes be on in the background. And yet, Everybody who worked on it seemed to be sort of exhausted by the 22 episode run. And Marley said you couldn't pay her any amount of money to do another 22 episode show. I never wanted to revise my feeling on Carol Hathaway. So this is very upsetting to me. Can we focus on three extreme positives from The Good Wife? Absolutely. As a final note. Yeah. No show has integrated um, like technology in like the evolution the rapid evolution of technology as well as a good wife except they, for black mirror maybe except for black mirror which is like in a class onto itself yeah, right. it's not fair it's three episodes it's three episodes like every few years yeah but um the good wife invented chum hum their equivalent of google <laughs> and stuck with it for the entire run yeah and it was really well Committed done to the bit. they also like along the same lines they had gabe woods from silicon valley involved in like this nsa plot yeah. like and they zach just, woods zach woods yeah, sorry yeah. Does he play? Does he play a Gabe on any show? I'm sure he does. <laughs> he looks like a Gabe to me. But so they are just really good at integrating technology in a way no other show except for Black Mirror really can. Um, number two, I just want to say that no actor has really been elevated by a role the way that I feel the Good Wife did for uh, Josh Charles as Will Gardner. Yeah. I miss Will Gardner forever. And number three, no one has ever looked as meticulous and majestic as uh, Christine Baranski as Anne Lockhart. She's a true inspiration to women everywhere. I, 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 she will always live on in Andy's sign-off on The Watch, <laughs> but it was it's really tough to see Baranski go. I, I was watching, somebody had retweeted this weekend, Pictures from the Mamma Mia rap party. Oh, God. And Baranski was just out there crushing it. She's with incredible. Dominic Cooper and Alexander Scar- or Stellan Skarsgård just like tanned with a giant white wine doing karaoke. She makes me want to be rich so I can have clothes as meticulously tailored as hers. What a way to go out. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. Before we get to Sean and Jason to talk about Captain America, let's talk about DraftKings, man. Experience the thrill of one-week fantasy golf this week at DraftKings.com. Amazing prizes are up for grabs each time you play. And playing is easy. Just pick six golfers before a tournament tees off, stay under the salary cap, and rack up points based on how your players perform. Outscore the competition and win. Whether you're a total golf enthusiast or just love the thrill of fantasy sports, DraftKings brings the excitement of the game to a whole new level. With every monster drive and every made putt bringing you closer to a payday. Choose from all kinds of sports to showcase your winning skills, baseball, soccer, even MMA. Millions of sports fans just like you have discovered the magic of DraftKings, and now it's your turn. Use promo code BSPN at DraftKings.com now and play for free with your first deposit in this week's fantasy golf contest with 400000 in prizes. The top prize is 100000 so you could seriously cash in. That's code BSPN to play for free and have a shot at 100000 top prize. Only at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. And now I am joined by my good buddies. I got Sean Fennessy here, EIC of The Ringer. What's up, Sean? Yo, Chris. And I also have on the other line, Jason Concepcion. What's up, Jason? Hello, my friends. We are forming 
much like a group of superheroes who might protect the world against <laughs> supernatural and natural foes. Avengers, if you will. Nerds unite. Yeah. No, uh, we're here to talk about Captain America Civil War. Uh, I feel bad because Andy really wanted to talk about this. But we, we you know, you can't get enough because this is going to this is going to keep running the summer, I think. Maybe you guys should just make we'll the watch a Marvel pod. What's that? Just make the watch a Marvel pod. Make the watch a Marvel Full pod? Full stop. Okay. Now that you've spun it off in your own feed. I wanted to specifically have you two get guys on because if you, this is a good time to mention that if you have not seen Captain America Civil War, we are going to be talking about things that happen within it that you may or may not know about. So, spoiler ahoy. And uh, I just wanted to ask, first of all, like, did you guys like the movie? You know, were, were you in on it? Uh, let's start with you, Sean, and then we'll go to Jason. Yeah, it feels strange to say that I loved it, but I think that I loved it. Um, I think it was probably the most fun Marvel movie they've made, which seems strange because I think it's really hard to make four superheroes coexist within one movie because the origin stories are so big and the mythology is so big. And they actually managed to make like 14 yeah. superheroes exist inside this movie. Um, I think it also helped that it wasn't bogged down in a lot of like super villain bs there was a there is a primary villain in the movie but for the most part the conflict is between characters that you already know that didn't get jerry rigged into the story just because it's a new chapter it was you already know iron man you already know captain america there wasn't really a macguffin in this one it was good there was no there was no like infinity stone the macguffin was like william hurt as the secretary of state yeah like whatever he was trying to manage for the united nations was the macguffin yeah whatever the the sokovia accord but um yeah, it, it's just it's it's like loose and serious at the same time, which is something that Marvel does really well, as opposed to say, I don't know, DC. Right, Jason, what did you think? Uh, I thought it was. I think it's the best Marvel movie. I, I have it: uh, Civil War, Avengers, and then I guess Winter Soldier. I saw it at two thirty a.m. at the Lincoln Thirteen on IMAX, son. What? Walking out of the theater at 5 a.m. Why would you do that to yourself? You live in New York. Because you can I see make... movies all the time. Because <laughs> I, make, I make really bad decisions, and I wanted to see it on Thursday night, and it was the only place with uh, assigned seating IMAX that still had tickets. That's wild. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Like, I mean, like Sean said, I think um, structurally, it's really impressive how every character kind of had a moment in this movie had a line had a scene had a little um time to say something and put their imprint on the movie I classic mean, vision really cooking moment to do yeah <laughs> cooking with vision yeah I, we paprika, needed more paprika like a nice vest yeah <laughs> he had he was well dressed i what did you think of vision's uh clothing john it was nice it was sort of like um pre-millennial tom ford <laughs> I, I think it was elegant and, and, his, and his cape game is obviously is is incredible so jason i wanted to ask you because like i know that you guys both are fans of of like spider-man like in the comics and have always enjoyed it and this was sort of the curveball that got thrown in the middle of this movie was the appearance of spider-man i kind of only thought he was going to show up like out of nowhere for a quick second as or even like in the in the after the credit sequence or something like that but he was a major part of this like third act of the movie uh, Jason, what did you think of Spider-Man's introduction? It was kind of cool how they handled his origin story in like five seconds. Wait, Chris, you say it like Spider-Man? Like Phil Spider-Man like from Grittons? Seinfeld? Yeah. Spider-Man. <laughs> okay. Spider-Man. Okay, Spider-Man. Yeah, Sp- okay, the, the Spider-Man. Sorry, go ahead, Jason. Uh, I was, you know, I was, um, I found myself against all odds charmed by Tom Holland as Spider-Man. Where have we seen Tom I Holland think he really, I had, no, I had no idea like who this dude was. 
but uh, I had read up on him, obviously. And, like, you know, he really captured the uh, ADD quality that Spider-Man has, the kind of, like, motor mouth thing that's not necessarily just quips. It's that he's, like, an annoying person. Uh, And he really, like, captured that over-eagerness, like, really well. I'm really down for teenage Spider-Man as opposed to, like, 30-year-old Spider-Man. I feel like when Logan Lerman sees this, it's going to be like when a dinosaur saw the Big Bang coming. Where it's just like, I'm about to get... <laughs> Tom Holland is Logan Lerman's extinction level event. <laughs> You're just like, there's nothing else for you, dog. Yeah, I, I agree with Jason completely. It's kind of amazing how uh, obvious it is that Spider-Man should be a teenager. And Tobey Maguire was 26 when he was cast as Spider-Man. And Andrew Garfield was 29. Yeah. And Tom Holland is 19 and he looks like he's 14. And that's the whole thing. That's the whole, the reason that Spider-Man became so iconic to teenage boys reading and, and teenage girls too, reading the comic book is because he's like immensely relatable, but also not, you did, you weren't necessarily exactly like him, but he was like your funny, annoying friend. And they perfectly nailed squeezing him into the funny, annoying friend dynamic inside the Avengers. Um, I also just thought that they made like a lot of really good choices. Teaming him up with Downey immediately makes him seem more interesting putting marissa tomei in as aunt may immediately makes him seem younger cooler it's Mm -hmm. not this like white-haired aunt may that we're used to seeing i don't know i think holland was very charismatic um and he's part of like a great fight sequence you know like he kind of hangs with these major heroes that we've been seeing for the last five or six movies and he seems like he belongs there so it's amazing how well they handled it because they usually don't handle these things well the thing about teaming him with Downey is a really good point i think it's indicative of the difference the way that the russos are handling this stuff and uh the way that marvel in general is handling their their properties now versus the way joss whedon was i had i had plenty of affection for what joss whedon was doing but i think that whedon ultimately this is you know, and I'm sure I could be wrong about this, but I think that Whedon ultimately views being uh, a superhero as a gift and a curse, and it, that it that there was a lot of anxiety and angst about who, like these people had about themselves and their powers, and it's like that's very much encapsulated by by Hulk. You know, whereas like Hulk is like I'm just so bad for the world, I should go as far away as possible, um, and now now they're like we're cool. You know, they're all like they're at they're all at the point where they're like, we're really happy to be superheroes, which I know, you know, the whole point of the movie is them sort of trying to take stock of what that is that they're capable and the destruction that they're capable of inflicting. And I think that after what everybody was sort of saying about Batman versus Superman and and the sort of wanton disregard for human life to have an entire superhero movie that was pretty much about superheroes paying the cost for their their transgressions was really interesting. I couldn't help but feel like cynically marvel was getting to have its cake and eat it too like they were now cashing in on our desire for consequences after creating a world in which there were no consequences yeah there's a lot of meta moments from spider-man specifically where he's sort of observing all of the ticks of comic book movies in small and then in big it's the same thing it's like acknowledging what these heroes did to sokovia and new york and washington dc in this sort of like super highlight reel of destruction shows like something that you and I have talked about in the past, Chris, which is like the the insane violence of these movies and the destruction of American metropolises is a weird tick that they insist on. So by saying like, hey, we've gone too far here, they get to be ultra meta. I don't know that um, that's going to work at one more movie down the road. Yeah. But it worked in this one. Jason, what did you think of the Daniel Brühl part and the fact that they made that guy not an evil super genius 
but just like a guy who was affected by what the the Avengers had done in in Ultron. I think he's the best. I mean, for me, I think he's the best Marvel movie villain. Yet yeah, he 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 unleashes this master plan on the Avengers without ever punching anyone. I think he even says at one point, like you know, um, much stronger foes than me have tried to take them down and yeah. failed. And um, and that whole idea where he's like really grounded like story that motivates his arc all the way through it's i really i really enjoyed what they did with him i thought it was great who's he supposed to be is that is that comic book character Uh, baron zemo is is a character okay um jason what did you think of the because they really did follow through with the like I, i know that i thought like batman versus superman ultimately sort of pulled its punch a little bit with how in conflict they were going to be even though they philosophically were opposed um but this really did follow through with it throughout the entire film what did you think about the sort of um captain america iron man tension that you saw i think um what made it so successful is marvel's kind of been laying this track throughout the movies it's there a little bit in the avengers um it's there in Ultron, a little bit more, like in the scene where uh, Captain America tears a log apart. Um, Classic. And so it's, <laughs> it was it was natural. It was like their uh, their philosophical argument was was a natural outgrowth of that. Whereas, like in Batman vs Superman, it was just like we disagree, we don't like each other out of nowhere because you destroyed a building, and you know I don't like you. Yeah. Um, it was really effective, and uh, the other thing that um, really stuck out to me is I, I hate to keep like killing Batman versus Superman, but the end twist when it's like, oh, um, Batman's not going to kill Superman because their mothers are both named Martha. That's like a moment that I hadn't actually never realized that their mothers were both named Martha. And I was like, oh, wow. Like in a good movie, this might've worked. The end of Captain America Civil War is that version is the good version of using like a parental tragedy as motivation for an end fight that that final bucky iron man uh captain america fight is actually like quite it's it's been a while since you've seen a fight between people and you're like ah god i don't know like who do you want to have win this like yeah and also it hurts and it's very visceral i feel like the fight scenes in every marvel movie including this one are mostly pretty bad and they're mostly sort of murky and the camera is moving too much and you can't really understand what's happening but by focusing specifically on those three people in a small confined space they were able to make something that like felt like fight club it was you could could feel the punches landing um but the one problem that i have with this movie is that i really don't care about bucky barnes and the winter soldier and him having this huge place in this constellation of very classic characters and i find it really weird that the movie you know we get introduced to the black panther because of him we get introduced to this whole world of hydra because of him we get introduced to baron zemo because of him it's this really strange use of a guy that is not like canon so to speak yeah right i don't know jason do you does that is that strange to you uh it's not I probably just because I've read the books and I was and it was such a big deal when they were like, oh, we're bringing Bucky Barnes back. The one guy who in comics, um, you know, in comics, the rule is nobody's ever dead. And Bucky Barnes was the guy who had remained dead for 50 years or whatever it was. Um, so it's not so strange to me, also, because like that is one of the classic arcs of recent Marvel. Um I want to talk briefly about the Russos and the filmmaking here. So this is just like my rant. And it's like. 
I know I know that this is churlish because like what they did is very hard and they actually found like a really good consistent tone. It's a funny movie without being corny. It's like a pretty violent movie without being unrealistic, like without being unnerving or anything like that. It's like a really, 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 really good version of this movie. And in a lot of ways, it does all the things that we've been asking these movies to do for a long time. But I just wanted to say, and I'm curious you know, if you guys notice this at all, is that I'm really not interested in the Marvel visual aesthetic. And I know that this is sort of besides the point when you're dealing with something that is essentially a corporation, which is what these movies have become now because of what, you know, the, the, the movements that they have to make, but it, the entire movie seems like it was shot in broad daylight in an Atlanta office park. And there is literally no variance except for the snow mountain at the end of the movie of any scenes. Like there are hardly any scenes shot at night. There's no, it's always a sunny day. Everything is so brightly lit. Everybody is wearing anonymous, like, you know, unlogoed black hats with mock turtlenecks from that look like slightly dry fit, but not really. Everything is so vanilla. And it's really that's extends to the lighting of the movie, the camera work, which I know has some like born choppiness, but is ultimately kind of just pay Paul Greenrass the money that you owe him. And I find that I think it leaves me a little cold. I think that one of the reasons why I'm not like emotionally invested in this stuff the way I would maybe like to be is because there's just literally no emotion in the filmmaking. It's all just big close up master shot, big close up master shot. And it's all just the brightest, most we shot this inside of like a, a dentist's office kind of lighting. And this is why David Fincher wets down the streets and shoots at night. And you're just like, I'm so in this movie right now when you're watching it. This is why Denny Villeneuve's movies are probably story-wise not very good. But I am convinced he is the best filmmaker because every shot is a painting. And I don't know. Did you guys ever find yourself feeling that way at all? Uh, I'm going to reiterate my slack comment to you, which is like, you sound like a dude who sits at home with the TV sound off watching Tarkovsky and hitting a bong. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it, is, it is very Cinema Studies 101. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I, I agree with you, but I think I'm willing to sacrifice Great, it's been that. great having you guys on the watch. You'll never be on again. I'll be joined next week by uh, Professor Longhair from USC Film School, where we'll be talking about mise-en-scene in Soderbergh. No, I mean, Go look. fuck yourselves. The thing about it is... The, these movies are all made by different directors, but they all have to kind of look the same. Says and so, who? You, the, uh, theoretically, Kevin Feige and Marvel. Okay. I, I think that they're trying to create some sort of consistency. I think like James Gunn, what he was able to do with Guardians of the Galaxy Looks great. is a lot is different enough. That's as different as I think they're willing to get. I think he's maybe a better filmmaker than the Russo brothers, but I think that in an effort to make Avengers one, two, and three look enough like. Thor 2 and Captain America 3, they have to kind of mute the palette a little bit. Now, I agree with you that it does look like an Atlanta office park, and that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, it's the flip side of what Zack Snyder does, where everything looks like someone's, like, damp copy of anime. You know what I mean? Right, right. Where it's just, like, everything is colors everywhere and bullshit. But I think that there's a middle ground. Yeah, I think that there could be. I just... To me, it's not what I go there for. Like, what I go there for is basically to have fun, not to be intellectually stimulated and so great composition in a shot is meaningful but it's not it it didn't matter to me as long as spider-man was done well and spider-man was done well i'm I'm waiting for villeneuve's enemy 2 for for the best composition (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, is there a movie that you like purely based on cinematography? I think Prisoners is a really good example of not a movie that is not good, but that looks so good that I don't care. Again, it is not good. Prisoners is like a bad movie, but I'm just like I'll, I'll watch Prisoners. If Prisoners was seven hours long, I'd have to. I would. I would just watch it. Pretty much every Ridley Scott movie is not good, except it's it's amazing because it looks incredible. Do you want Ridley Scott to take a crack at Thor four? No, I want Ridley Scott to keep making Prometheus movies until I die. Okay. I don't know, Jason. Is there any part of you that wishes that David Fincher could get a crack at a Marvel movie? Oh my god. It would have to be the right property. Like, what would it be? Like, Punisher or something? Mm. You know, like, because I, my theory on David Fincher is that everything he does is, like, secretly a comedy, which is why it's good. Um, but I, it would never happen. They, they're, you know, like, Marvel's whole aesthetic is to shy away from, like, really, really strong directorial visions. Yeah, I'm curious to see what they what Scott Derrickson ends up doing with Doctor Strange. Yeah, because he is yeah. not a great artist, but he definitely has a visual style. He's got atmosphere in his yeah. stuff. Yeah, and it seems like Doctor Strange is basically looks like cheap Christopher Nolan. And the, I think you know this is goes back to like Ant Man with like Edgar Wright not you know doing like starting Ant Man and then jumping off of it and Adam McKay coming on and doing a very very like yo, the yeoman's job on it. And kind of just wonder, and you know, and he he gets very stylish with Big Short. Ant Man has to well, be well. No, a... pa- uh, Peyton Reed actually directed. Oh right, Ant-Man. you're right. My bad. McKay did the punch up. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, yeah. They didn't teach us that in film school. That's right. Peyton Reed, um, <laughs> the cinema of Peyton Reed. Also, a good visual stylist though, who had a little bit of his life sucked. I think I think that they just suck out the life of creative people. The Russos shot episodes of Community that look incredible, look like Point Break. Yeah, but I you, I don't. You can't so, quite that's go the thing there. is like I don't necessarily like. I'm just saying why I think. A movie like Captain America can do almost every single thing right, and yet I don't walk out as some sort of evangelist. And it partially is because I'm just like an older person who doesn't care about Spider-Man as much as I did 10, 15 years ago. And part of it is just because visually it's just not that compelling of a product. Chris, who's the one filmmaker that you would want to take a crack at the Marvel Universe? It's Von Burke. Who's the one filmmaker I'd want to take a I would love to see uh, like Vim Vendors, Gareth do Edwards want? do it. Which the raid guy, Gareth Evans? Is it Evans? Edwards is doing Star, Star Wars. Wars. Gareth Evans Wars. is the one who I would want to see. I would just be, get like a, a guy who knows how to have like and pick a pick a character who basically has to have a two hour fight. Right, he should do Iron Fist. Ooh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that would have been great. Unfortunately, we're not going to get that. And uh, Iron Fist is going to be on Netflix and look even worse. That's the other thing is at least it's not the TV shows. Yes, that's you know, true. The TV shows to me are even more boring visually, but it is what it is. Jason, what's uh like? What, where are we at with Marvel now? So like we're going into a couple of other. We got Strange and then Guardians. How, how make me feel excited or not excited about Infinity War? Thanos, baby. Thanos back, you Brolin. You're not down. You're, you're, you're not. You're not down with a dude who's going to wield like fantastical uh, universe jewelry to destroy the world, and <laughs> it's going to require all of the superheroes of the Marvel universe to stop him. Uh, if you're not excited by what's happened, then I can't excite you, Chris. I'm excited. You have no soul. I you love, have no heart. I I got it all. I just you could come visit me 
in my underground lair where I only watch Bertolucci films with the sound off. I guess the, the <laughs> one thing that I find myself that I'm asking myself about all of this stuff is having given myself over to all of these movies and caring as much as I can care as a 33 year old man. I don't know what the end point is. There's right. this interesting thing happening where yeah. today the X-Men, the next X-Men movie, was it was announced that it's going to take place in the 90s, which means we're reaching a moment where X-Men is the X-Men movie universe is going to seem like a feedback loop where all of the stories are going to start overlapping and things that they did 15 years ago will feel like 30 years ago, but they're actually 10 years in the future. Right. And it's very it's going to be very confusing. And they're only going to be able to get Downey to do so many more of these movies. They're only going to be able to get Chris Evans to suit up for so many more of these movies. And they're not going to be able to hand it off completely to Chadwick Boseman or to Tom Holland. Tom Holland, right. And so what happens? Like they've created this phase three. Presumably there's a phase four because this movie made a huge amount of money and they're not going to stop making any money because they're good and people like them. Is there, I mean, Downey has started to make whispers about doing iron man 4 but jason is there like a big avengers storyline after infinity war that they could do to reboot things yeah i mean they could assuming that characters die and or age out and or at the end of their contracts after infinity war they could do after civil war in the comics there was an event called dark rain which was basically uh bad guys run the government hmm. and superheroes like on the run so they could and really that's the only play they have left. I mean, Civil War was the most comicsy comic book movie yet because it perfectly played on the tropes of heroes versus heroes, which is, you know, just a mechanism you use because you can't trot out villains all the time. Yeah. Um so really the next move is villains win. That's how I feel about this podcast. I feel like the villains won. <laughs> I feel like cinema lost. <laughs> Uh, this has been really fun. I think we'll wrap it up here. Jason, thank you so much for calling in. Yep. Uh, Sean, no thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Baron Zemo. <laughs> uh, I, I feel so weird saying this, but great job, Baranskis. I'll talk to you guys next week. This episode of The Watch was brought to you by DraftKings.com, where you can experience the thrill of one-week fantasy golf and play to win your share of $400,000 in prizes. Just pick six golfers before Thursday morning's tee-off, stay under the salary cap, and rack up points based on how your players perform. Outscore the competition and win. Play for free with your first deposit with code BSPN at DraftKings.com now. The Watch is also brought to you by the Black Tux. The problem with wearing a rental tuxedo is that it looks like a rental tuxedo. Everybody knows it. The Black Tux is changing the game by offering quality crafted Italian wool suits and tuxedos for rent online. Select from complete looks or build your own starting at just $95. To get started, visit theblacktux.com BSPN and experience a new way to rent. That's theblacktux.com BSPN.